Good evening. It's good to be here with you again this evening. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have to share a portion of God's Word with you, and I hope that what we have to say here this evening will be beneficial and something that you can apply in your daily life. Tonight I'd like to talk about having a biblical worldview, and I, I told some guys before the services that I was struggling with, with a title, and maybe titles are overrated. Uh, if you want to think about it in simpler terms, basically not being influenced by the world, that's what we're going to talk about this evening. So again, I hope that what I have to say will be uh, relevant and applicable to each and everyone's lives here this evening. Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 17 says, See ye then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding in what the will of the Lord is. And I think this verse sums up very uh, well the idea of what a biblical, of having a biblical worldview really is. You know, here for a while now, I think that we've used this verse quite a bit and. I think it's because it's extremely relevant in the world that we live today. But the writer here, he's giving a warning, and he says, Christians have to be wise. And what is, also does he say? He says, we have to redeem the time. That's a very relevant topic when it comes to the idea of raising families and being a part, being present in this world, and not being distracted by the things that are in the world. And it, from the beginning of chapter 5, Paul is continuing a theme here. He's giving instruction and warning about the pitfalls of life. And we, he's saying we have to know what the will of, of God is. The instruction we receive from the Bible isn't just for good living, but, it's, but these things are from God. They are the will of God. So when it comes to this idea of a worldview, as Christians, our view of the world, our attitude of the world should be viewed through what? The will of God through the lens of the Bible. Instead of leaning on my own wisdom, instead of the wisdom of others, any worldly wisdom, our first question should be, what does the Bible have to say about this topic? What does the Bible say about any question that I may have? So every uh, person here has their own perception of the world. Every person on earth is going to ha have an idea of their origin, where they came from, Every person's going to have an idea of the purpose of their life in this world. And every person probably has an idea of what their destiny is or where they're going to end up when this life is over. As Christians, though, hopefully we're fairly settled in those three things, right? But having a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview is about using Scripture to find the answers or find the questions, find the answers to the questions that we have in life. We know, as Christians, we know where we can, that we can know real knowledge. We know that we can find real knowledge. But the world will tell us that only truth, the only truth is science. And, and you know, even science is apparently up for debate as well in our world. We can look to the Bible to find answers on ethics or morals. The Bible shows us that there's objective norms in which human beings should behave, and it's not up for interpretation. Relativism, that's a popular idea today. That's the view that morality and behavior is relative to the, own, to 
the own individual or the culture. And, you know, we can say, okay, well, how does this apply to me? We don't think like that. We're not relativists. I can get up here and tell you that, but what matters is that it matters because we make important decisions every single day of our life. We choose every day how we live, who we live for. We choose things that we're going to reject, and we choose what we're going to accept. And through and the lens in which we view the world will dictate those things in our life. So again, ask the question, how do we live? Why do we live? What do we live for? And what are the things in life that we value and that we reject in our day-to-day lives? <clears throat> what are we passionate about? What are, and what are, on contrast, in contrast, what are the things that we detest? You know, I said as far as Christians go, our origin, our purpose, our destiny, those things are probably fairly well settled amongst most Christians. But how would we answer these questions tonight? We, we know the right answers. We know the, the boilerplate Christian answer to those things, right? But how would our lives reflect and how would our lives answer those questions for us? See, our attitude in this world about the world can become very diluted. These things about, about relativism and humanism, they don't just sit in a book somewhere waiting for someone to discover them or waiting for someone to, to, to examine them. No, these ideas bombard us constantly because we live in a world that's selfish. We live in a world full of people that are broken. And there are all these things in life that appeal to our fleshly desires. And because of this, we often incorporate these worldly ideas into our own per- personal views about the world. And sadly, we do this most of the time without even knowing it. And you know, I can stand up here tonight and tell you, don't, don't believe in the relativism. Don't be a relativist. Okay, but the fact is that, that many people today share a lot of the same views that I do, but they don't profess to be Christians, or at least they don't act like it. So what's the difference? You know, when it comes to ethics and beliefs, our, uh, and our belief in what, how people should behave or uh, human ethics, there has to be a source of authority. And those ethics, without that source of authority, those ethics, morals, beliefs can be changed on a whim and compromised. So let's talk about authority for a minute this evening. Second Peter 1 verses 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. According to this, as his divine power hath given us, un, given us all things that pertain unto life, godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So this passage here speaks a little bit to the power and the authority of God. He's given us answers in his word. Everything that pertains to life, we have the answers to in his, in his word. So when we think about our own lives, in our own worldview, our own worldview is going to be shaped by who we let reign in our lives, who we give authority to. And it's not us who gives authority, but who we allow to, have, to reign in our lives and who we recognize as authority in our lives. Where do we put our minds? That's what we talked about this morning. What do we, what do we put into our minds? 
that's what's going to shape what we truly value and what we decide to reject. It's going to dictate how and why we live life. 2 Peter 3, verses 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So how can we know that the things in the Bible are profitable to us? Because it's the inspired Word of God. You know, this is a po- another popular verse that we read, but do we really believe it? We, I've heard this verse hundreds, if not thousands of times. So do we view the Bible as just a bunch of good stories on how to live life, or do we recognize the authority? Do we recognize that it is inspired by God? You know, people also say, well, as a Christian, it doesn't really matter maybe what I listen to or what I watch on TV. Okay, if you're going to take that stance, by whose authority has, has whose authority's given you that? Was it God's authority or did we authorize that? Let's look at Romans 1, verses 32. Uh, first, Romans 1, verse 32. By, uh, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And again, this is another one that, we most, uh, that most of us know. And you know, this verse is always in the back of my mind. And it, it bothers me and nags me because... I struggle, I, I struggle uh, to separate myself from this world. I str- struggle to keep those worldviews out of my mind. And, and I, I struggle to keep that from affecting how I live my life. And you know, all of a sudden, maybe I reject things a little less, or I re- reject sinful things a little less, or the things that are valuable to me become non-spiritual things become worldly things, and, and my, my view shifts. So what exactly is Paul talking about here, though? And we'll go back up to verse 20, 28. And even as they do, did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful. You know, there's, there's things up here that I'm, that, that I'm guilty of, and I think we would all admit that we're probably guilty of. But how much bigger does that list get when it comes to the things that we've been entertained by or that we've watched other people and, I guess, taken pleasure in those things, taken pleasure in people that do those things. And, you know, I, uh, it's, I, I think it's a bit of a, maybe a, a difficult subject, but did... Uh, sorry, I lost my... So there's things that I'm, I'm guilty of, but did God authorize us to... Did God authorize that? Did God authorize us to be entertained by those things? I think that verse 32 says no. So if we choose our entertainment to be filled with things like this, it's going to pervert and distort our minds. And these are things, too, that because of their rejection... 
God has given them over to what vile and unrighteous living. So is that really something that we want to put in our minds? Are we going to want to be entertained by people who who were who were uh, reprobate, who were perverted? And again, these things can pervert our minds. And I'm not going. You know, I'm going to sound like a bit of an older an old person here, but the I. At 32, guys, I'm, I look and see where, where things are, and I see things like all these different social media platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, even Facebook. I look now and say there's no way that children and, and adults alike should be a part of the things and be seeing some of the things that are on these social media platforms. So why have it in the first place? And, and guys, I know that I sound, I sound like an old man, but I'm only 33 years old, and there's things in my life that I... There's things you pick up when you're a young man that are really hard to get rid of, even when you're 33. So just be aware of that. There's things that in my life that still bug me today because I didn't take care of it when I was 15 and 16. Uh, you know, there's a lot of TV shows that me and Haley are movies that me and Haley would like to go see, but there's just too much junk in it. There was one movie in particular, a really popular one, we wanted to go see, and I thought, you know, for sure it's going to be, it'll be fine. Looked it up, and it's, it's basically unwatchable. So do we just look past something like that because maybe it's a good show or good, uh, maybe there are some good things in, in these social media platforms? And, and you know, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that I don't know if it's a liberty that I want to take. Unless, and you know, I would love to talk about this with someone too. Someone may have an, a different interpretation of what it means to have pleasure in them that do them. But I take it to mean if we're being entertained by all of this and taking pleasure in all of this unrighteousness, then, we, then, then we're no better than the people that he's listing up here. <clears throat> Let's read John, 1 John 5, verses 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies, uh, lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the world is under Satan's influence. And as Christians, we, we have to acknowledge that. We cannot be friends of the world. And I think sometimes we get this idea of wanting this perfect world here in our lifetimes. Christians and non-Christians alike, they, we long for a world of unity and peace and justice. At least most people do. And we all have our own ideas of what it takes to accomplish that, right? Uh, this utopian society. But humans are never going to be able to accomplish that. And it's because of sin. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Man's heart is, it says it's on evil. It's, it's deceitful above all things. Um, let's read Romans 5 verses 12. Wherever, wherever, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so sin passed upon all men, for that all, for that all have sinned. 
Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of, of one shall many be made righteous. So because of Adam's sin, it brought condemnation into the world. So again, Christians should view this world as broken, as sinful, and desperately in need of Christ. And though this passage it talks about how through his righteousness, through his obedience, that forgiveness is offered to all. And you know, when I say that Christians should acknowledge that the world is evil, that doesn't mean that we're accepting of it, right? Because why? Because of Christ. Is this world broken? Yes. But that doesn't mean that we do nothing. It doesn't mean that we look at verses like Jeremiah 17 and say, well, there's nothing I can do. We should all view this world as in need of a Savior. <clears throat> in this world, in this world, all the things all the things in it are temporal and ultimately not important. But what is important is our soul, our children's soul, and our fellow man's souls. And we need to place value in that. Now I want to talk about cultivating a biblical worldview in our families. So what are the things that ultimately shape our worldview? This is a short list of just a few things. And I think that if, if we're being honest, that most of these things are part of, of our daily life. But you know, a lot of the time, it looks a, more, a lot more like that. And I can attest to that. In my life, that's, that's what it looks like. And you know, because of all of these distractions, because of the bombardment and the fact that, I guess, we're so busy in life, that tells me that parents have to be biblically grounded. We have to be biblically grounded in the Word. Or we're going to take a back seat to all of these other things when it comes to our children and our family. <clears throat> and we're setting ourselves up for failure if we do that. And you know, I'm, as we start talking about the family, I know that I've only been a parent for seven years, and I'm obviously not an expert at this. And some might think that I don't, I don't even have the authority or the credibility to stand up here and talk on this subject, but... You know, at the end of the day, I don't have authority. We're going to look at what God says. I want to look at the Bible. I want to look at what the Bible says when it comes to raising my kids. I want to be successful at that. Ephesians 5, verses 15, we read that already, but I think it's, we need to read it again. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This uh, passage reminds me of a book uh, that I at least started. I never finished, but it's called Point Man. And uh, some of you may be familiar with, with this, but it focuses on the role that fathers play uh, in as far as their spiritual success of their family and their, and their children. So from a military perspective, the point man would be the soldier that's head of patrol. And during a patrol, that point man would be head of his group, and everyone falls in line behind him on a patrol. He's in charge of his patrol, 
He, makes the sh- he calls the shots, and the survival of every man in that patrol is up to him. Every single person in that patrol is relying on this man's ability to lead. And in this book, it's like that example is likened to the role that fathers play when it comes to being leaders in their family. Fathers, as leaders of our family, the survival of every member is up to us. Our ability to lead through the chaos of American culture, if you will, is up to us. And you know, war has been declared on the, the Christian family today. So walking circumspectly means that we're looking all around for the dangers. As point men of our families, we have to be looking for any dangers that may threaten them. So if we're just going to bury our head in the sand and be willingly ignorant of all of the evil and all of the things that can distract our family away from what's truly important, then it says we're foolish. Proverbs 2, or 22 verse 3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So if we look at this under the context of parenting, we've, we've got to be able to foresee the evil. You know, when I was 15 or 16 doing driver's ed, yes, I still remember a little bit of it. The, the one thing, uh, one of the few things that I do remember from that is the, uh, I guess, driver's ed teaching you the abi- or, uh, teaching you that you need to have the ability to, uh, oh, I, I lost the word now, but basically foresee or uh, be, man, I had the words right on the tip of my tongue, but be able to foresee what the other person in the car is going to do. Uh, try to, I, I'm, it's, it's failing me. Anticipate, there you go, thank you. <laughs> when I rehearsed it, I had the word, I promise. Anyway. But we've got to anticipate and foresee the evil that may, be, that may uh, fall on our family. We've, we've got to be able to foresee that. You know, our children are going to be influenced by something. In this country today, you cannot place a value on a father that teaches their boys what it means to be a strong Christian man. You know, families are starved for strong male leadership. And the church needs fathers who will stand up for the Bible and will, be, and will let it be a leading influence in his life and in his family's life. And as I said, children are going to be influenced by something. As they grow up, are they going to see mom and dad? Are they going to, they're going to be able to tell what mom and dad really value in life. Are they going to see that mom and dad are living for Christ, or are they living for all of the other things? Are they living for their phone? A lot of parents, myself included, I have a, when I get home, I have a hard time not doing this while my kids are right in front of me playing in the living room. We've got to teach our kids to love God. Otherwise, if we don't, our example to our children is at the very best going to be confusing and misleading. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 through 12, as you, know, as you know now, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom of glory. So this writer here, he's using an illustration 
that describes a godly father caring for his children. A father encourages and comforts his children, but he also punishes them and, uh, and pushes them and disciplines them to walk in the light of God's Word. And you know, the one thing that that tells me is that God's description of a good father is not in any way passive when it comes to leading his children. Fathers cannot be passive. If Satan can neutralize the man in the household, then he can neutralize and cripple an entire family. And it works the same in the church. If Satan can neutralize the leadership or a large portion of even the fathers, then he can severely damage the congregation in a whole. And if you think about it, we often pray for our leadership in this congregation. And as members, we recognize the importance of strong, strong leadership in a congregation and how it is important to its survival. Fathers and mothers, do we handle our families with that same importance? As a shepherd cares for and watches over its flock, are we keeping that watchful eye? Are we anticipating the wolves? Parents, we need a godly culture and a strategy for our homes. And worldly challenges need biblical answers. So the culture within our homes needs to be that of seeking godliness in all things. Are we teaching our children to seek God and love God? Are we teaching our children to go to His Word for the questions that we might have in life? When they encounter something in their own lives, are we going with them to the Bible for answers? And again, parents need to teach their children that worldly challenges need biblical wisdom, not worldly wisdom. And the truth is that anyone can, uh, that, that uh, the truth is what, what anyone says up here is going to have, honestly, a small impact on children compared to what they see being modeled, for their home, modeled in their home each and every day. You know, preachers can never outdo what parents can do in their home. And it's, it's because you're with them every day. Parents, nobody, nobody can outdo what you do. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The most important thing we can give our children is teaching them about God in our home. Showing them a pattern of Christian living. And again, there's so many things competing for our children's attention today. Whether you're a parent or not, we realize that there's so many things that's distracting us and pulling us away from what's truly important. <clears throat> and these things, they're distracting us from studying the Bible like we need to, from just being a family like we need to be doing. We can't forget the value that comes with, with just being a family, enjoying those moments in time, redeeming the time, using it to teach God's Word. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You know, being led by the Spirit, it's much more than just following the Word of God or trying, making an attempt to follow the Word of God. Being led by the Spirit is not... Uh, is, is, is a surrender to the Word. A Spirit-led life is in conflict. It's in conflict with the flesh. 
The flesh is in combat with the Spirit, and the Spirit's in combat with the flesh. So being led by the Spirit is more than just seeking God and to follow His commands. You know, we can try all day long to be good people, but if we're not resisting the evil and the temptation, then we're going to fail, right? We know that. We have to actively and daily reject the evil. Hebrews 4, verses 12 said, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even uh, to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So obviously, study and meditation is a crucial part in that matter, right? The word is referred to the sword of the spirit. So in the same context of the Spirit warring against the flesh, it stands to reason that what we should take the sword of the Spirit, we should take God's Word with us to battle the flesh. But you know, if we actually commit to doing that, it's gonna, it will change our life. You know, there's a big difference between knowing the Scripture. I mean, we could quote Scripture all day long, but if we're not being led by it, it doesn't matter. It's not a modification, it's a transformation of life. It doesn't just change our life or modify the way we live life. It's, an, it's a complete transformation in the way we live life and the way we view the world. <clears throat> so, for example, instead of having a live and let live attitude, we're, we're going to see evil and sin for what it really is. We're going to see it as a detestable thing. We're going to see the destructiveness of what sin really is. We're going to see the dangers of sin. And we're going to place a true value in other people's souls. They're not just people that are messed up. So again, how we live, why we live, what we live for, what do we reject, what are we passionate about? If we're led by the Spirit, then I think that we can truthfully give the right answers to that. Colossians 2, verses 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. You know, I love the, the, the language here. I love how he, he says, Don't let the world cheat you out of missing Christ. You know, the traditions of men and the basic principles of the world, I love, I love the wording there. And, and it's even the New King James. But are we letting the things of the world, are we letting just the, the basic teachings of men and traditions distract us and affect us and, and cause us, are we going to let those things miss out, uh, cause us to miss out on Christ? <clears throat> Earlier in verse 6 and 7, he says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so, ye walk, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. As we're bombarded with the things of this world, we have to have deep roots in Christ. We have to make sure our families are rooted in the word, in Christ. And, and Christ is our strong foundation. He's those roots. He's that firm foundation. And we'll leave you with this. 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 15 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and let his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his tears are open unto their prayers. 
For the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be ye not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, I think it's really easy that in the face of evil, it's, it's really easy for us to just automatically want to retreat from this world and, and again, just li- have this live and let live attitude. It's just like, well, I'm just going to hunker down, live my good life, and, and we're going to live in this little bubble. But the truth is we can't. And I'm, that doesn't mean that we don't protect our family, but we can't, we've, we've got to live in the world and we've got to learn We've got to be strong in the scriptures in order to combat the things that, we've, that we face and that our children face in the world. We always have to be ready to give an answer with meekness and fear. And this is a quote that I've used before, but it says, Why not use our voices now while the memory of Christian ethics still lingers like a rare perfume within modern culture? You know, we have something that is so rare to find these days. And the light is always brightest in the dark. We have such a great opportunity to be example for good to the people, to, to this world. But all too often, you know, we waste that opportunity because we're too distracted with, with other things. And it's easy to get discouraged about the world. And, and it's easy for our attention to be on things that don't matter. And, you know, it's, it's easy to... Uh, to get discouraged about the world. It's easy to focus our attention on, uh, or uh, uh, it's easy to focus on trying to fix this world as well. But that's not a perspective we need to hold. And think back to what we said earlier. The world is in desperate need of a Savior. And we can be that light in the dark world if we live that transformed life rooted in, in Christ. That's all I have prepared this evening. Um, We'd like to now offer the invitation, and if there's one that has uh, been taught and wishes to obey their Lord in baptism this evening, we ask that you would come, or if there's one that needs the prayers of the church, we ask that either one would come as we stand and sing.